I sound a little deeper than I normally do, which is great because I'm usually... It's tenor. God sanctifies me through pumpkin patch field trips. And um, it's the time of the year, and we were there for one Friday, and then we had games out here yesterday in the Dust Bowl. So it's... Uh, Paul and I are kind of neck and neck right now. Uh, nothing's wrong. <clears throat> if I stop and cough and clear my throat, um, it's just allergies. Or COVID. Who knows? Whatever, right? We're just moving on. Um, just kidding. I'm fine. Uh, so you have your Bibles, or uh, it's in the program, um, or a pew Bible if it's in your reach. Um, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to move through 1 through 15. If you're uh, visiting or um, <clears throat> haven't been in a while and you visit, whatever, um, I preach very intermittently here. I said this last time. Uh, so this is part 3 in three and a half year sermon series on Ecclesiastes that I'll get through it. Grant said last week he was like in week 14 of uh, Exodus. But um, if, you, if you go by the calendar, I'm probably like in week, I don't know, 70 of uh, Ecclesiastes. So uh, so I just thought we'd move through it. I, two, two before, I just did Ecclesiastes 1, and then I thought, well, let's just continue on through. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 15. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, <clears throat> and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to do, excuse me, for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. And may God use this challenging but familiar passage to show us and teach us something brand new, about His amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the opportunity to, uh, once again, preach Your Word. Um, Father, as, as I always pray, I, I, I don't take this for granted. It's a, it's a, it's a solemn responsibility. Uh, I am um, the most unqualified person in this room uh, to do it, but You don't... Um, thankfully... That's not, your, that's not your criteria. 
Um, This is you, Father. I ask that you come preach today. You come preach the word to us. You reveal these truths to us so that we'll see our desperation. We'll see our hopelessness without you and be moved once again to fall into uh, the everlasting and ever sure, never giving up, never failing arms of your amazing grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so just a quick review, because I know we're moving slowly through it. Um, we started in chapter 1. Um, this, this speaker, uh, nobody really knows definitively who the author of Ecclesiastes is. You know, you'll, you'll see commentators use Solomon. It's a good bet. Whatever. It's not the time or place for such an argument. It, it works. Uh, sure. But what's important is not who wrote this book. It's in what capacity is this speaker speaking and this speaker teaching. Um, the Hebrew word quiholeth is convener, teacher, preacher. Um, I've seen this person referred to as a philosophy professor. Whatever. This person is standing in the lecture hall, the philosophical lecture hall of life, and telling you and telling me what life looks like under the sun. A life where horizontally we might say there is no God, it's just us down here. This is what life looks like under the sun. I once heard John Piper say that Ecclesiastes was, was, was a whole book of bad theology, but God-inspired Bad theology. In other words, he wants us to see what life looks like without him. He wants us to assess and know and feel the weight of the world down here under the sun without him. And in chapter one, he moves through um, this these these first opening chapters of, uh, uh, verses, and he arrives at the conclusion that down here under the sun, life is meaningless, hopeless. It's not really the most exciting uh, uh, um, conclusion uh, if you uh, uh, buy into a life without God. It's rather hopeless. It's rather bleak. That drives him into the back part of chapter 1 and chapter 2 where we were last time where in light of this, he tells us all of the places he looked to find meaning in life. And it was so diagnostic. I mean, this is, a, this is an ancient book, but it's so current. Uh, Daniel Hightower and I talked after either the first or second time I did this. And it, If there's a book that college students need, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, it, it just, like the whole Bible does, Ecclesiastes just reads you like a book. Uh, it's so human and so real, and God in His, His mercy has given it to us so that we'll see ourselves. He said in chapter 2, Because life was meaningless, I tried to find meaningless in self-indulgence. I tried to dump in as much pleasure as I could. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, I'll find what I'm looking for there. And he finds it was meaningless in striving after the sun. Then he goes to, well, okay, I've, I've now sown my wild oats. I'm going to pray for a crop failure. And I'm going to try to find meaning by living wisely. Nothing. I'm going to try wisdom. I'm going to try to make myself the wisest and the smartest and the biggest. Nothing. It's, by the way, why I chose that Don Henley quote. That, that song, The Sad Cafe, is my favorite Eagles song. And um, uh, it's, you need to l- listen to it. It's, it's, it's about the Troubadour Club. 
And they all converged there and they all played. And he said they, they had just had the success of Hotel California and they had to make a follow-up record. And he was just thinking about the years gone by. All of those people that went to the Troubadour Club, he said, there were people there who were way more talented than we were and they're homeless and I'm sitting here rolling in the millions. Why, why do I look at the years gone by and I wonder the powers that be, I wonder why fortune smiles on some and lets the rest, of, lets the rest go free. Why do things turn out the way they turn out? Nothing was ever enough. Then, at the back part of chapter 2, the vanity of toil, I'm going to try to find meaning in my work. It also leads to the same conclusion. So, we arrive today at chapter 3, and I want us to see three things. Now, the first part of this is going to feel a little bit more like, uh, probably my Old Testament class, um, the sermon creeps in at the end, if you will, when we do get to the gospel. But I do want you to see, and me to see, three things here. But we're going to view the first two things from sort of two different lenses. That'll make sense as we go on, okay? Three things. Number one, <clears throat> what this passage reveals to us is our addiction to control. I said in my prayer that I was not, you know, I, I, I never, nobody's qualified to preach the gospel. Although I can talk to you about the addiction to control because I am a control freak. And I have a sneaking suspicion that maybe you might be in some parts of your life too. Our addiction to control. Number two, our longing for eternity. And finally, number three, the one who controls eternity. Um... For the first two of these, we're going to look at them uh, through the lenses of what John Piper, I think, accurately called bad theology. These seasons that Quiholith mentions, the Hebrew word here refers actually to opportunities. In other words, these are predetermined purposes in God's divine economy that show that He is sovereign over them. And in these predetermined seasons of life, you and I have... Plenty of opportunities to live down here. It's actually a gift. He does go on and say, you know, what, 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 do, what does there's, God should? He's given us the task to work, and you should live and enjoy this. Well, tomorrow's Monday, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I, I know what's on my list tomorrow, and I have a, the seasons of my world. I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm not really all that happy about it. Maybe you are. Good for you, you know. Come, t come counsel me after I get done preaching to you and tell me how to, you know, go smile through life. Um, because we're sinners and because you and I are bent towards self-justification, these first eight verses, apart from God, remember we're looking at this bad theology first, can really make us feel trapped, alone, and rather helpless. I've already seen it. I've already seen ads pop up. Seasonal depression. Have you seen that? It's all around, you know, the seasons come, the seasons go. And, if, and, and when we look at these eight verses, uh, we, we have 14 instances here. And as I was, I was prepping, I saw a beautiful description that under the sun, from bad theology, what we have here is 14 pluses and 14 minuses. And you get to the end of it, and what do you have? Zero. You live, a time to be born, a time to die, we're planning, we're dancing, we're weeping, and all of these life-giving and life-taking things, when it's all said and done, it's just zero. I remember um, when Billy Graham got... Um, 
he, he was awarded um, you know the highest civilian honor and he was standing in the rotunda there and there were all these these you know these busts and pictures of the founding fathers and he stood up there and he said I won't do my Billy Graham impression I won't I won't do it Justin do it no Alicia's in here I can't <laughs> sometimes this is so terrible you're going to like kick me out but sometimes when, I'm, when I do get to stand by her to like say the Lord's Prayer I'll like lean to her and start doing it in my Billy Graham voice you know Falva, you know. But anyway, um, he said, "Do you know what all these people have in common? They're all dead. And down here under the sun, um, the seasons of life can be rather hopeless. What they do, and I want us to take a minute and think about it. They expose our addiction to control. Think about just just look at chapter two. I'm sorry, verse two. A time to be born and a time to die." Do you realize how problematic that is for you and me? I'm all about song lyrics. You don't know this Garth Brooks song because he had all his good hits in the 90s and then just, you know, put out fluff and now he just tours. But on one of his later records, there's a song that says, There's two dates in time they'll carve on your stone. Everybody knows what they mean. What really matters is the time between that little dash there in between. You know, and the point of that lyric is it's that dash where you and I spend our time crawling, searching through our work, our children, our finances, our, our reputations, our weight, our appearance that we're digging through just to find meaning and significance and validation in thousands of things infinitely smaller than Jesus. And the bitter reality when you stop to think about it is you had absolutely nothing to do about when you got here. Nothing. Nothing. Nor will you have any real control over when you're done. Luther said, man cannot live one second longer than God has, or, than God has predetermined and preordained. Friends, we're in control of nothing. And when you step back through the lenses of bad theology, through the lenses of no God, a life without God, we have our addiction to control in the face of this really exposed. This last time you felt exposed. Like, oh, oh no. I thought I had, you know, I, I was once playing a wedding. I've played so many weddings and um, one of the first pastoral things that my brother Rick Searle taught me was there was nothing that will ruin a Saturday like a wedding. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, was, I was once playing a wedding and uh, somebody knew a singer. She was going to come in, and and she was she she sang in like Vegas and on like uh, cruise ships, and so you know be, you know had achieved you know more than I had you know, and uh, so there was this Jim Brickman tune. I don't remember what it was, and all his stuff is super thick. And the wedding was at five. She was supposed to get there at three, so like we could rehearse. I talked and and chatted with 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 the bride, and I said, "Can you just let me know what key she needs it in, so that I can pull it and listen." and learn it and uh, they got back and she said oh whatever the recording's fine so we're supposed to rehearse at 3 the wedding's at 5 I've got prelude music at 4.40 at 4.47 she comes in the door so no rehearsal like well you know I mean I'm, I'm, a, I'm a musician I can I wing it you have no idea what we do over here sometimes and uh, the kings of the wing that's our band name that we have the kings of the wing um but she comes up to me and she says, Oh, honey, I forgot to tell you, uh, the recording's in D. I need it in F sharp. 
you know, and it was like all these like major nines and like minor sevens, you know, Bill would have been fine, but I, I was just like not okay, you know, and I felt very exposed. Well, when I, I also felt out of control. I felt totally out of control. Well, under the sun, in God's divine economy, uh, apart from Him, we're left totally and completely out of control and we start grabbing at straws, at places and people, um, spouses, children, jobs, all of these things to secure uh, the validation and the identity and the sense of worth that we feel like we have if we're going to make it. It's a scary place to be. And here's Jesus in Luke chapter 4, right? Saying, I've come to give liberty to the captives. Well, under the sun, in God's world that He's created, in the face of the seasons that He has ordained, apart from Him, I dare say, it doesn't feel very liberating. I mean, you can't do anything about the seasons. You can't do anything about the, you know, the, the fluid between your bones that keeps you... You know, just think about it. If you stop to think, did you make the liver... Did you make E minor? Did you make Jupiter's moons? We're in control of nothing. But we're programmed, because of our sin nature, to be bent towards control. But until we realize that self-salvation, Christians, is impossible, we'll never be interested in the one with whom all things are possible. As long as we're driving our way in the face of the seasons and the, and the uncontrollability, unharnessed nature of time, we'll never, never turn our eyes to the one with whom all things is possible. And we'll get to that freedom in a minute. It's from this freedom, and only from that freedom, that we can confidently say, like William Lloyd did in that wonderful hymn, My times are in thy hand. My God, I wish them there. My life, my friends, my soul I leave entirely to thy care. Wouldn't it be nice to be reminded of that and go to sleep and say that every night? Well, I'll be honest with you, I can't say that every day. I'm, 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 I am completely affronted by this, a time to be born, a time to die. And I'm constantly running after different kinds of death and different kinds of, different kinds of ways to, re, to remake myself and, and redo things. My times are in thy hand. My God, I wish them there. My life, my friends, my soul, I leave entirely to thy care. That's the rest that you and I are promised in Christ in the face of what seems like uh, the unkind passing of time. Number two, our longing for eternity. Um, what ha- what, this is verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity into man's heart. Eternity into man's heart. Everybody knows, we all know in this church, we've heard the quote, Augustine's quote, We are made for thee, O God. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. He's revealing things here in these passages. He's in this... In this God-inspired bad theology, there's actually great theology breaking through. God in His goodness is revealing things about the way He works. 
And that longing for eternity that we'll spend the next few minutes talking about, the reason you feel that way, I hope by the time we finish and get to point three, you'll see that it's God that's done it. It's God that's put it in you. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 11, eternity in our hearts. So let's consider these from two ways. Uh, Bad theology. There's probably not a worse way to consider bad theology than with what Woody Allen had to say about this. The universe is indifferent. So we create a fake world for ourselves and exist in that fake world. A world that means nothing at all when you step back. It's meaningless. But it's important that we create some sense of meaning because no perceptible meaning exists for anyone. I've said before, this is why Ecclesiastes is my favorite book of the Bible because I look around at the world, I look around at life, and it amazes me how outside of the church seems to get it so much better than inside the church does sometimes. You know, I I said this in Revive the other night. You know, sometimes church people, we we, we don't, I don't mean this church, I just mean church in general. Sometimes we we have a hard time relating to the world because we say things. And look, maybe I'm jaded. I told this to the um, Wednesday night group the other night. I grew up in a church with completely whacked out weird, I don't even call it theology. I don't know what it was. Um, But it was this... You know, I, there was somebody, little girl, like broke her leg, and they were doing like prayer requests. And she said, "Well, the doctors say the leg is broken, but we're not claiming that." You know, like I said, "All right, sweetheart, but that bone is sticking out of the leg, right?" So, like you, you know, you cannot claim it all you want to. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's hard for us to meet the world. You talk about your evangelism and discipleship. Well, look, the world sees right through all of our all of our pretending. You know what will change the world? If you're a person that really, as we should, care about discipleship and evangelism, go out to the world and say, listen to me. I, you probably have it better, more together than I do. I mean, we have good kids, but like our life is a dumpster fire. But I'm telling you, like, and there's another one coming. You know what these people need? A baby. Jeez. So crazy. I'm not ready. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. I'm really not. Give me a minute. Okay, here we go. All right. Um, Here's the issue. We long for eternity, but you and I are finite. We long for something everlasting, but you and I are temporary. Down here, because of the fall, because of sin, you and I now live in an economy where everything is not right. Time takes what it gives. Speaking of kids, um, I teach in... My office is in Talladega and... uh, our campus that I'm at is in Talladega, and our kids have gone to. It's actually a really fantastic daycare, uh, First Baptist Talladega Child Development Center. They were they loved our kids so well. Super great place, and um, since Anna's been old enough, was old enough. If the weather was good, they were always on the playground, and I knew my routine. I would park and I would walk in, and I knew walking down the hallway. I can still see it. I still smell it, and. Um, I, can, I, I knew that when I walked out the door 
that her teacher would see me. She'd go, Anna. And I would look and she'd be on a swing or some seesaw and I would hear, Daddy! And she would just abandon everything and tear to me with her arms wide open. I knew that as, as her time there was coming to an end, she started faith. I knew that how our life was going to change. I knew that there would be a day where I would see that for the last time. Now, it didn't mean she's not going to run to me and not see me and not, you know. But in that arrangement, no matter how bad my day was, no matter how frustrated I was, like in that moment, walking down that sidewalk, I'd see that little girl running to me, calling Daddy. And I knew when her last day was going to be, and I knew that I'd never, in that paradigm, I'd never see it again. All the beautiful things that time gives us, it also, because of the fall, takes them away. That's If you spend time thinking about that, which I, you, you know what you might be saying at this point? You might be saying, gosh, Justin, man, you're really trying to drive me to despair and you would be correct. I am. I want, before we get to... You know why? Because I want to knock the legs out from underneath your delusions that you're capable of making life under the sun on your own. Me too. So that the gospel can set you free once again. Because if time is vanity, and if life is nothing more than time, we get right back to Quiholith's same thesis statement, and that is it's all meaningless. So what do we do about it? Where do these longings come from? Why do we sense this cruelty of time? Um, I was recently... It amazes me what happens when I know I'm going to preach. So much just comes at me and are in my peripheries. And um, I don't know if you know, but Paul Simon, more music, uh, has released a record called The Seven Psalms. And it's about getting ready to die. He's old and he's getting close to the end and he's just he, all these songs came to him in a dream. And um, he was on, I, I didn't Google it, I don't know, I'm not getting all weird, but it just popped up on my YouTube feed. And uh, he was on the Howard Stern show. Howard Stern. Say, so this dude preached and got Don Henley, Howard Stern. Oh, a called session meeting awaits. But Howard Stern's interviewing him, and it was the most beautifully transparent thing I've seen out of a... Out of a I would, Howard Stern's not a Christian. By his own admission, and his entire life and career is a testament to it. In fact, antagonistic against it. But he's taught, he and Paul Simon are having a deep conversation. And he says to him, he says, Paul, you're a wise guy. You're smart, you've lived. I've got to ask you. And I'm not being funny, I'm being serious. Is there a God? Because I'm getting older and I need to know what's going to happen to me when I die. What do you think? It's Ecclesiastes, right? That's what I meant by the whole, the, the outside the church gets all over this book all the time. It's God that did it. How do we arrive? At Matthew 6.34 where Jesus says, Don't worry about tomorrow. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. His eye is on the sparrow and I know He watches me. How do we get there? 
How do we find that assurance in the face of the, 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 the cruelty of time, the passing nature of time? How do we arrive at that? That peace does not come from this side of the sun. It does not. You know what Paul Simon said to him? He, he asked for counsel and wisdom. He said, you know, I don't know. I'm, I, 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 it, all I know is that if, 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 if he is real and he made all of this, I just want to say thank you for it. Yeah, okay. okay well, that's decent. And he said, but if it's not, you know, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm still grateful. And, and Howard Stern said, but yeah, like, how do you just cope with this beautiful existence and then you're not here anymore and it's over? The world cannot provide you the peace that we're longing for, the peace that you and I have to have, has to come from the other side, what Isaiah called the land beyond the Jordan. Somewhere else. And that's our point three. Turn with me to Galatians 4, if you can. Galatians 4. Where's Galatians, Grant? There we go, all right. The kids have this book for the Bible song. It's so bad, but it's great, so it's in my head. Um, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God appointed divine, sovereign providence. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son. After all, according to Paul, again in Romans 8, all of time is for the purpose for you and me to be conformed to His image. That's what time is for. When we start to feel the weight of the seasons of life and our longing for eternity, when we see those as God-inspired events to make us more like His Son, we can start to see our struggles and sufferings as the gifts that they are for our good. What inspired the hymn writer to say, Whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Well, you know, he tells us in a verse, my sin, and, and it's, don't get me wrong, we're going to sing it later, but like, if you were talking, he would go, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. That is where you arrive at. It is well with my soul. It is not us. It's God, not us, that makes everything beautiful in its time. This is what Quiholith is showing us. He's Listen, the Old Testament... Maybe I've got baby on the brain. The Old Testament is just pregnant with Jesus. He's like kicking all the way through it. And you can feel him kicking hard right here. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has... Not you, not me. Yes, we long for eternity. But 
the good news of the gospel is that eternity came to us. Yes, we feel the, 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 the shift of seasons of time and watching our kids grow up and watching another, watching another year go by without kids, watching another year go by, will I ever this, will I ever that? The seasons of life can bring us to our knees, but the good news of the gospel is that He collided into the cycle of time. He came from without and crashed into our temporal. He's there in it. We don't have a Savior who's separate he's, or some distant. It, John 11, for example. In John 11, we see Jesus wrecked with humanity. We see Jesus wrecked with grief and sadness and He felt it. Your Savior is not separate from you. I know some of you in here today are carrying three ton pounds of grief and sadness everywhere you go. Well, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is not distant from those. As one theologian said, He's tasted the salt in your tears. He's with you in your seasons. He's with you in the passing of time. In fact, He knows it. He's felt it. He's lived through it. You know, you talk about this kind of stuff. How our exhaustion, our never-ending days and longing for something. These are all questions for which Christ is the only answer. And when you talk a lot, doesn't that amaze you? Like, when, you know, fair enough. Somebody could say, you know, Justin, you teach and preach a lot about grace, but when was the last time you preached a convicting sermon? Okay, I can do that. Here we go. When was the last time? We've been singing Amazing Grace for years in the church. When was the last time grace amazed you? Amazed you. Took your breath away. You have homework. I'm a teacher. Go get Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. Hang with me. Listen, I've kicked all my doxological, sincere, whatever, whatever. What have I got? I've got Don Henley in the reflection. You can handle Willy Wonka. Um, uh, the, 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 the chocolate factory was built on a soundstage. It was real. That waterfall was all real, right? When they, when they made the movie. The, all the children actors had never seen it. And the shot, when they walk into the chocolate factory, that was, an, that was one take and one actual shot. And the kids are like, when was the last time the grace of God... You want to feel convicted? Tell them about their sin. Well, may the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them well of thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. Yes, we should be convicted about our sin. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But when was the last time that God's grace took your breath away? Actually stopped you in your tracks. If it's been a while for us, let me present to you out of love that somewhere along the way, it's because we've bought into the nickel and dime street pedal delusion that we're capable of managing life under the sun without it. There will always be a direct correlation between how amazed you are by grace and your perceived need for it. It's a scary place to be. You know what you're left with without it? You know what? You and I are left with it. You're left like Howard, you're left like Howard Stern asking Paul Simon, Bro, help. Do you realize like, how transparent this guy who has spent his entire life just making a mockery of everything you and I might think is good and decent? And here, as he's approaching the late fourth quarter of his life, he says, Oh, man. Help. 
Well, Christian, take heart. You and I were placed here and created in the boundaries of time for eternity, not as punishment, but as an act of common grace to guide us along the way and point you back to God. Yes, because of sin. Yes, because of the fall. Time works against us. Right now, there's nothing you can do about it. And for those of you uh, who have more yesterdays than tomorrows, you can, you can feel this probably more than I can, although I've got a big birthday coming in December. Oh my God. It's not 30. I lost my mind when I turned 30. Look at her, she's nodding her head. I just thought, I thought it was over, you know. Now 40's coming, so God's like, <laughs> here's a newborn. That <laughs> you won't worry about it now, you moron. That's probably, you know. <laughs> because of sin and because of the fall, time works against us. But one day... In the new heavens and the new earth, time will return to the gift that it is that we can use and work and enjoy forever. We have foretaste down here of the glory to come. We see that. It's everywhere. The kids run up to you and friends and church. By the way, this is why you come to church. By the way, that's part of it. You know, it's like glasses. Your glasses get dirty through the week and you come and get them cleaned off. There's four tastes of goodness down here, but one day, one day, one day, in the new heavens and the new earth, time will be back on our side. I write all these, I write these country songs, I'm so embarrassed, you know. But I have this lyric, it's, you know, like you live your days like time is on your side and then time turns out to be your sworn enemy. You're going to feel that. You're going to feel that. But God did it because He loves you. And He loves you enough to put you where you are. Your days are not mistakes. Your seasons are not... They're nothing in your life. We say it every, every week. Not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Nothing about your life is foreign to God. Nothing about your days and times and your seasons, your tears, your hurts, your joys, all of this. And I'll let Rich Mullins have the final word. The front part of that quote is... Uh, he said, I grew up, up on my life with people telling me that God loved me. And I would say, well, that has nothing to do with me. That just proves that God must not have very good taste. <laughs> and he said, but thank God that he doesn't have very good taste. Because he looks down and he takes the junk of our lives and makes the most beautiful art. Christian, if you're in Christ... Whatever is keeping you awake, whatever you didn't want to talk about on the way, whatever makes tears fall down your cheek, lumps in your throat, He's there. There's eternity in your heart because of Him. But take heart. That eternity has come to you. He's here. He has you. He's not letting go. Nothing you've done this week has made Him even consider leaving you. 
just who he is. And what a blessing that is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and uh, preach your word. Thank you for reminding us who you are, that the seasons of life um, are created by you, that you made them so that we would come to our knees in realizing our desperation for you, to turn to you, to look to you, to stop turning to ourselves and to stop thinking on our but like we could take comfort and solace you do in fact have the whole world in your hands we thank you for your matchless grace in Christ and it's in his name we pray amen